welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. It's almost Christmas, Joe! It really is, yeah. It's the Thank week God. of Christmas. <laughs> You're I really ecstatic. Need this. You know what? <laughs> I've been so sad and I'm so sad I'm not seeing my family, but also it's impossible to be cynical about Christmas when you live with a three year old. So Right. Yeah, you are really just immersed in that <laughs> season of the holiday, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> season of the holiday what am i even talking about <laughs> spirit of the holiday oh my goodness i have felt my brain melting these last couple of months i can barely yes. form sentences yes yes so correct. glad i get to record myself speaking multiple times a week <laughs> and our show joe and our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tehsewetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sewetmik Ulu. And in our quest to make our land acknowledgement something meaningful to us and to you, we're going to try something new starting next week, right, Joe? Correct. Next week, yeah. Yeah, so Joe had a really great suggestion from some folks at his office. Thanks, folks at Joe's office. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never listen, so it's fine. <laughs> to In weeks where we don't have Indigenous content, we could spend some time foregrounding the Indigenous community for the territory where the text is set, which would yes. help us to keep top of mind the issue of how settler colonialism has really changed the way we view space and place. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's something that's like an easy ask. It actually just requires us to look mm -hmm. and be like, hey, who were the traditional owners of the land on which the story takes place? Like, it's such an easy ask to educate ourselves that little tiny bit as we do research on the texts in question. Stewards of the land, but yes. Oh, I like it. Okay, mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. Thank you. I think it's a way of disrupting notions of ownership of land in the first place. Good call. Good mm -hmm. call. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. today is our look back episode. We are quickly running towards 2021 with our mm -hmm. arms wide open, just begging it to be better. Yes. And um, we thought we'd take a minute to look at some big mm -hmm. and some good stories. I'm pleased we didn't just pick on depressing stories because there's lots of those. There really are. Yeah. So folks may remember that we tried this last year. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's helpful is that it puts the year into context and makes us think about what is shaking and moving within the landscape of YA. And this is a bit of a fun exercise for me. I don't know how you feel about it, Brenna, mm. but I enjoy trying to find a single piece that encapsulates the journey that we've gone on this year. And it's not mm. about us. So unlike last year's episode, we're not going to be talking about our favorite episodes because we've already done that on our anniversary episode. Mm -hmm. But this episode gives us an opportunity to talk more broadly about what's happening within YA. And maybe a little bit what we hope will happen next year, too. This is true. Yes, we did uh, We did have an issue last year where we hoped that there would be more BIPOC YA. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to touch on that in the news story that you selected this year. I sure am. I sure am. Do you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. So are you going to link to these stories in the show notes, Joe? I absolutely can. Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is uh, from a Guardian article, but it's about uh, a new piece of research that came out in the fall. And this is research done in the UK. 
out of the University College of London, Associate Professor Melanie Ramdershan-Bold, and she's found that in 2019, 19.6% of the YA authors published in the UK were people of color. And what's amazing is that's compared with 7.1% in 2017. Oh, and thirteen point two five percent in twenty eighteen. So we're hmm. seeing more Numbers than doubling within yeah. two years, right? Wow. Yeah, and so I wanted to highlight this story because you know we spend a lot of time talking about what we want publishing to do better, and publishing still needs to do a lot of things better. Don't yes. get me wrong. <laughs> yes. Do not get me wrong. But it's nice sometimes to recognize that. We're not just seeing more books by people of color because we're looking. There are more books by people of color on the shelves for us to find in the first place. And I was just really pleased to see this research. The author of the study cautions feeling too optimistic from the perspective yeah. of Black <laughs> British writers in particular. Right. She notes that most of the Black writers on the bestseller lists are American. Yeah. And that there's still a lag behind in terms of... UK publishing and how it publishes British writers of color in general, but black British writers in particular. So she cautions mm. that the work is not done and that it's not enough to just take to wait until something is a bestseller in the US and then publish it in the UK and be like, look, we're diverse. Uh, yeah. hmm. <laughs> right. But it's important to quantify this. I think sometimes people get bored of these kinds of studies. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know, like the numbers are small. But you can't fix what you don't measure. Anyone who works in any kind of field that involves analytics knows that. And so I think it's really important to just keep on top of these numbers and to feel a little bit of hope that mm -hmm. maybe one day this won't be a conversation we need to have so often because it will just be the norm. Right. It'll just be the conversation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ramdershan Bold has done quite a bit of research in this field or she's the scholar, sorry, who released the study that showed that only 2% of children's authors and illustrators in the UK in the last 10 years were British people of color. And one of the things I really like about her work is that she's tracking trends over time, right? She's not Ooh, just taking okay. snapshots. She's really looking at like, if you're looking at a trend over a decade, one good year doesn't save it, right? No, absolutely not. And especially because the wheels can fall off people regress and they fall back into the easy habit. So it's good that she's looking to see, okay, are these numbers on the incline regularly or mm -hmm. did we just have a good year? Exactly. Yeah. So her work is something to just keep an eye on if this sort of thing interests you. Her research often makes it into the news because, well, because it's newsworthy. Mm -hmm. There's a quote in this Guardian article from Candy Gourlay, who's a Filipino-British writer, uh, working in London. And she said that every time she hears how the industry is shocked at <laughs> research like this, she just feels cynical. And I get oh it. Gosh, like, yeah. how many times, particularly as white people who talk and think about books, I don't think we get to be surprised anymore. <laughs> like, now it's time to just do the work, right? Anyway, yeah, so let, let's maybe stop feigning ignorance because yes. it just starts to look like ignorance. Exactly. So, anyway, I'd recommend our listeners keep an eye on the research by Melanie Ramdershan Bold. It's pretty phenomenal. Every year she comes out with something fascinating, I think. And I think maybe it's okay to just be happy that there's some really good news that almost 20% of YA authors published in the UK in 2019 were people of color. Nice. It's not enough yet because that's not proportionate to the population, but no. it's way better than it was. There we go. I like how you went international with your story as yeah, well. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> also, that name is proper British and sounds like a cup of tea. I love it. <laughs> I know, it's so true.
(laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's funny. I was going to try to get a little glib and be like, well, here's like a personal anecdote, but I realize it really is anecdotal. And what you just delivered was evidence-based research. So maybe I'll hold back on that piece. Okay. We like your anecdotes, Joe. It's a podcast after all. (laughs) Ostensibly, people are listening because they like our anecdotes. (laughs) This is fair. Because I was trying to think of the year, you know, as a whole and some of the major events that happened. And I know specifically here in North America, one of the big things that happened to us was obviously the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. really got a lot of traction in the mainstream media. And I was trying to think of if there were positive things or like lasting impacts. And again, I'm going to reference that this is anecdotal. But one of the big things that came out of so much trauma and negativity and just terribleness in terms of revelations about things we all knew but didn't want to address, which Mm -hmm. was like police violence against marginalized communities, specifically the black community and so on. What I ended up getting out of that was all of a sudden... I grew the list of people that I was following Mm -hmm. because it exposed me to all these people who were doing really valuable work or even just the salary disputes where authors had posted like, how much did you get paid for your first book or what was your advance? And just the shocking, not shocking, (sighs) the sad confirmation Mm -hmm. that white authors were always getting these massive advances and black authors and Latinx authors and trans authors even like they were all just getting paltry crappy advances and what I got out of those conversations was just all of these new people where I was like this is my opportunity to educate myself without asking someone to educate me Mm -hmm. so just by following these people I've expanded the kinds of conversations that I'm now seeing online and I'm following these really new amazing voices and I've discovered new authors as a result as well yes I'm super glad you brought that up, actually. They talk about the publishing paid me hashtag in this piece in The Guardian. And Mm. they talk about the numbers don't tell the whole story. Sorry, I mean, the percentages don't tell the whole story when the money is still not being spent on writers of color. Right. Okay. But they talk about a a recent million dollar book deal for a teen novella that it sounds like it's going to be kind of a big deal. Okay. I really recommend checking out this article. It's lengthy. I won't go through it all, but I I want to quote one Ramdushin bold quote at the end of the article where she says, Okay. Because it's something we say a lot, Joe. It's important that a variety of narratives by authors of color are amplified, not just narratives about race, racism, and trauma. The way to do this is to publish more books by a wider range of authors of color. Yes. (laughs) So succinct and so perfect. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Totally. Uh, Anyway, what's your new story this year, my friend? My story is more an observation that we've been making recently, but it's been percolating really since the time we started this podcast. And that is the ascension of Netflix as the dominant distributor and exhibitor of YA films and television. Mm -hmm. And I tried to find a story that properly encapsulated like I was looking for metrics and numbers as well and I really can't find anything except for like conversational sort of puff pieces Mm -hmm. which is a little aggravating because it feels like someone should be keeping track of this and yet it's not part of the major conversations Mm -hmm. what I did manage to find was an August article in the ringer which is called the new generation of teen movies is nicer and on Netflix in brackets. 
This is a fantastic article. It's such a deep dive into the history of teen. I just, you guys should read it. Everybody listening to the show will enjoy it and be interested in it. You should check it out. It's really accessible, which is, I think, mm -hmm. one of the things that drew me to it. But it's not just a shill for Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. So it does track the rise in popularity of YA over the last, I would say, decade. And they're, they're focusing more on realist YA. So things like The Kissing Booth, things like Work It, that dance movie that we covered earlier, mm -hmm. the introduction of Noah Centineo. So how all of these things have come about in terms of fiscal interest in these properties, like, hey, we can make money. How do we do this? Mm -hmm. And it ties in nicely to Netflix as a site that is willing to throw money at content that is being underserved by other aspects of the market. So mm -hmm. if teen films and teen TV shows were not getting made in other areas, Netflix says, hey, we can gobble up, you know, a captive audience for this. So really, they have done just that. I would have liked a little bit more critical analysis of what it means when mm -hmm. one single streamer seems to have so much control over the content. And yeah, so they, they do tackle that, you know, there there's more people of color cast, uh, that there's a focus on friendships, which is something that you and I have always been appreciative of when we cover texts. So there's a, a good mixture of that kind of analysis. But yeah, I do wish that there was something that said, what does it mean that Netflix is the one with all the money and therefore gets to make decisions about the kinds of YA content that gets adapted? Like, there's a lot of focus on the kissing booth, but there's no talk about the problematic aspects of the kissing booth. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, isn't that Noah Centineo so super dreamy? <laughs> there is a great part, though. I liked how much weight they gave to the half of it in this article. And there's a part yes. in there where Alice Wu is talking about the power of being in someone's home as opposed to in a theater. You know, traditionally, we see the cinema as like the pinnacle of filmmaking. But mm -hmm. her point was that if you're trying to reach people, like you're trying to reach a closeted kid, you're trying to reach an adult who thinks they don't want to watch a quote unquote progressive story, right? Like, you might catch people who wouldn't have found their way to your story otherwise, and they might be the people who need it. And I really wanted more of that discussion with some of these stories. Yeah. The good and the ill, right? Like, what does it mean that the kissing booth is in your house? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that worries me somewhat. <laughs> I do like that that does address the big dominant news story for the year that we have not touched on, which is just the change in the way that we're consuming media mm -hmm. because of COVID and the mm -hmm. fact that we're hopefully all still following those parameters of staying at home, wearing masks, not interacting as much with other people. <laughs> I still love the premier of Nova Scotia saying, stay the blazes home. Stay the blazes <laughs> home, everyone. <laughs> yes, honestly, just try to do your part as best you can and know it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's almost Christmas and yet we can do this, folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do think that that's one of the other reasons why we have seen this influx in, even on our show, Brenna, the number of texts that we're covering that are Netflix properties. Yep. And I think part of it is that we didn't have the benefit of going to theaters or yep. we didn't see certain things because we were all at home and Netflix is in our house. It's just so readily available and it feels like everybody has it. So this is an easy solution. Everyone can access what is on Netflix mm -hmm. for good and for ill. Yeah, they raised their price again. They know we're trapped. Oh, ooh. <laughs> devious and so capitalist. So capitalist. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, no, I'm glad you picked this because we've talked over and over again about how, oh, well, we're watching another YA on Netflix, but it's mm-hmm. really nice to see because that article does a good job of laying out a lot of the back half of the year or the front half of the year. Uh, know, front half, yeah. The front half of the year. From here, it looks like the back half. Anyway, um, <laughs> laying out the front half of the year and, and sort of showing how this is a trend and why it's happening. And I just, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right that it's not the deepest dive in the world, but it's a fascinating read. And it's a long read, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, both of those are linked in the show notes. Give them a read. Maybe something will strike a chord for you. And of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on either or both of those stories. Yay. All right. So switching gears, it is Mm -hmm. the holiday season and hopefully we're going to have a little more time off, Brenna. So I'm interested to hear what do you think you're going to get to on your holiday break? I want to read all the things. I know. I remember last year when you thought you were going to get to all the things. In fairness, last year I was traveling and I always have an unrealistic expectation of what I'm going to read at my parents' house because the Mm -hmm. answer is basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But this year I am sadly not traveling and I have taken time off because my kiddo's daycare is going to be closed for two weeks. So I'm hoping for some time spent vaguely supervising someone playing lego while i secretly just read in a chair uh that sounds delightful (laughs) right i'm really hoping i'm hoping we're getting to a place where we can play by ourselves we're getting there Ooh, progress okay so the first thing i wanted to mention is that i had a whole bunch of holds come in books that i've put on hold because either you've talked about them or a listener has talked about them okay so i have three that i'm excited about this is all your fault by Amina May Safi. Do you remember we talked about this a few months back? Yes. It's the book about the bookstore that's closing down. It's the one that's basically Empire Records, but books. <gasps> yes. 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 You did this in the forecast, I think. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm so excited for it. So okay. I have this on my list. And apparently she's got a whole bunch of books. I'd never heard of her as a writer, but she writes a lot of YA rom-coms. So mm. I'm excited to check it out. Okay. And this one came directly from you. Darius the Great is not okay. <sighs> Okay, I cannot take credit for this. We have to give a shout out to Miriam and former guest Brennan. They have been chatting up this book forever, and they will be so delighted to hear this. It's uh, by Adib Quorum, and I'm very excited to read it. And I actually completely forgot I put it on hold. It was months and months and months ago. And then when I went to the library thinking I had only one hold to pick up, they were like, actually, you have two. I was like, pardon? (sighs) And then they brought this out from behind the desk. And I was like, secret (gasps) gift. I love it. (laughs) Yay. And then the third one that I picked up off my holds is one that I don't understand why I didn't know this book exists, Joe. Mm -hmm. It's a secret Sandia Menon book that I didn't know about. Oh, okay. What is it? It's called Of Curses and Kisses. Um, okay. It sounds kind (laughs) of familiar. It's a sort of faded private school romance. So I'm excited okay. because that's perfect Christmas reading. Yeah. So those are my three holds that are all directly show inspired and that I'm hoping I'll actually read and tell people about. Okay. Yeah. And then my other reading plan is, so because we're like normally when we go home for Christmas, we spend Christmas Eve with one set of in-laws, Christmas Day with my parents and Boxing Day with the other set of in-laws. So it's like mm-hmm. a really busy time. My parents are pretty chill, but it's still like you're moving around a lot and you're, you know, you're not sitting in one spot. So this year, because we're home on Christmas Eve, I'm doing like the whole cheeseball family thing. I've 
I've purchased matching pajamas for everyone. Yes. Uh, including the cat, by the way. Oh, <laughs> so no. Stay okay. tuned on Instagram for that. Long arm Georgie coming through. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, in a little Georgie in a fair aisle. I'm pretty excited. Um, and I've ordered like one of those family puzzles that has the three different sizes of puzzle pieces so everybody can work on like the kind of puzzling they like. Fun. Yeah. And I have ordered each of us a Christmas book. So. Uh, my son ha- is getting the Jolly Postman Christmas edition, which I didn't even know existed, and I'm so excited about. Did you read that book when you were a kid? I have no idea what you're even talking about. The Jolly Postman is this British children's book about this postman who, mm-hmm. on a bicycle, goes from door to door, and he goes to all the different fairy tale characters' houses, and at each one, he has a letter, and you get to actually open the envelope and read the letter at each house. <gasps> what? Fun. It's extremely fun, and there's a Christmas edition. So I got oh, him the nice. Christmas edition. I got my office-obsessed husband the new oral history of The Office that just came out. Oh, okay. TV show. I was like... Like he's obsessed with going to the office? Okay, <laughs> no, this makes more show. sense. He's one of those people who finds the office to be like comfort viewing, which I think right. we all discovered in the pandemic is like a demographic of humans, which mm-hmm. is weird. Mm-hmm. But I got me because I bought myself a present. I and got this is me. all about you. Yeah. Dash and Lily number three. Oh, and I know dear. I swore I wasn't going to read it, but. <laughs> no, I'm I'm happy for you for this. <laughs> I think it'll be good. I hope it'll be good. It takes place in the UK. Oh, yes. okay. Well, will you be giving us an update on how it goes? Yes, I okay. will. We should save some time in our first mini-sode back to see if I actually do any of what I've just said. Oh, and I'm also going to watch Prom. I will live tweet it when I do it. Oh, good. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I look forward to muting you during that experience. I was going to say, you know, you secretly want to, but I know that you don't want to <laughs> secretly want to know anything about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've seen enough people talking about it to potentially check it out. Ooh. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I like okay. musicals. I'm not ashamed of that. No, I love musicals. You just hate Ryan Murphy. I kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. I talked a lot. I'm going to read a lot, but this time I think it's actually going to happen for me. Fingers crossed. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, this feels more doable for you. Yeah. I think last time I named like eight books and three series I was going to Yeah, you sure did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm better now. Okay. Better. Cool. I like this. Yeah. So my holiday tradition, so I will also not be visiting my family. So I'm just going to be staying here with my husband in Toronto. And we've been trying to brainstorm some ways to make it feel a little bit special. So it's not just, you know, hey, it's another day staying at home. Yay! Hence the cat pajamas at our house. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're going to try to plan some specific activities that allow us to get out of the house. We might plan an unusual meal that feels a little bit more special. And I'm going to try to coordinate a watch of some of my favorite holiday films and TV shows. So I am a huge fan of the Vicar of Dibley Christmas special around the holidays. Correct. And also Christmas in Connecticut, the original 1940s version, which is an absolutely delightful screwball comedy about she's a professional lady who lives in the city and she writes under a pseudonym that she owns a country home with like cows and a husband and a new baby and it's all a lie except that her publisher doesn't know that and then wants to have that Christmas experience so she has to fake the whole thing and it's magnificent I freaking love it it's a I really love that movie and I feel like nobody ever talks about it because we're always talking about like white Christmas which is also really great yeah. yeah so I'm really hoping to check that out 
honestly, can I just say, I think it's a really good choice right now because both White Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life are like pretty emotionally heavy and mm. Christmas in Connecticut is not. Yeah, it really is just, hey, we're we're both posturing, but also <laughs> let's fall in love while milking a cow. Yay! <laughs> and flipping a pancake. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so I'm going to do that. Sorry, I'm cutting you off again. But also, isn't it amazing how good Christmas lights look in black and white? Oh, yeah, they've got such a twinkle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, mm. I'm a big fan. I don't normally like black and white movies, but I will make an exception for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so complicated you are. I know. All right. So turning specifically to YA material, I'm going to give an attempt to get through Pen15 again. I actually looked back and realized I said this last year and never did. did it. So no. I'm going to try this year because the second season is now out. So I really have double the content to consume. Yes. I'm excited to hear what you think of it. I'm not going to commit to it, so I'm ex <laughs> excited to hear what you think. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I also hope I can commit to it. We'll mm -hmm. see. And then in terms of reading, I've had a book on my holds list for forever, and I realize that like now is the time to pull the trigger and just go out and grab it from the library. So I'm going to try to read Slay by Brittany Morris. I think I talked about this last year, not yes. even like 2020, but 2019. I think you did too, yes. So folks, if you don't remember what this is, it's basically about a young girl who is a black female gamer and oh, what it's yeah. like to be in that world. Mm -hmm. It's got across the board fantastic ratings. People love it. They love this main character, Kira. And I'm just like, why do I keep putting this off for other books? Like I've been wanting to read it forever, so I'm going to do it. Love it. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have big news, Joe. We do. So folks, we have teased that there's going to be a bit of a change in format with regard to the minisodes coming up in the new year. Mm -hmm. And we have settled on, shockingly enough, a book club. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what, nerds? It's our time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> you like reading? Here's more. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were realizing that there's a deep diversity of books that we never get to because they haven't been adapted. Mm -hmm. And particularly as we've noticed listeners have had more and more interest in kind of putting together a greater scope of the history of YA. Yeah. And also we want a place where, you know, if we end up talking about three blockbusters in a month, because that's the kind of month it is, we want to have a space where we can ensure that we're still attending to the kinds of texts we want to bring to a wider audience, the kinds mm -hmm. of maybe smaller stories, maybe stories by marginalized voices that get lost sometimes mm -hmm. in the YA landscape. So yeah, we've decided on a book club. Yeah, so basically what's going to happen is we're still going to stick with adaptations every other week. We'll mm -hmm. probably intermix in either a television series or a movie, depending on what is timely. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of YA as it's happening. But then the book club will afford us this opportunity to read older books mm -hmm. or interesting books, you know, all the things that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to tie the book club into one of the things that we're reading or watching all on those other weeks so that it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just also reading this random other thing. Exactly. And generally speaking, you can plan for the book club episode to be the second mini-sode in a month, right, Joe? Yes, so the yeah. latter mini-sode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're kicking this off in January, and Brenna, you have taken responsibility for picking these book club books, so what yeah. have you picked for January? So our first pick is The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cicernos. 
I picked this because we will be reading, as one of our main episodes, we'll be doing uh, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. next month. And I was reading up on A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and I see that this text is often paired with it or suggested to classrooms that haven't diversified their reading lists as indeed a replacement for A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. So I thought reading them together would be helpful for us. It's a classic of what used to be called like Chicano literature, Chicano studies. So in Latino, Latina, Latinx literature, this is a classic. Mm -hmm. It's also much like A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. It's about a 12-year-old girl growing up in the city, in this case in Chicago, in the Hispanic quarter of Chicago. And it takes place over the course of a year and deals with social class, race, sexuality, identity. It's also been censored and on the banned books list, yeah. It's been on the banned books list, yeah. Um, for for making people question what it means to be American. <gasps> oh my goodness! No. How actually dare? <laughs> okay. And the other really nice thing, as a January pick, it's only a hundred pages long, hundred three pages, I think. So I know that people have you know competing expectations and needs and and time in January. So I thought if you wanted to try jumping into the book club, this would be a great place to start. Yeah. And it's a classic. It was originally published in 1984. And in addition to being on the bestseller list, it won the American Book Award. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really worthwhile read. And it's something I've never read and I'm really excited to jump into. Yeah, when you mentioned this to me, I had never even heard of it. So I'm 100% looking forward to discovering a new classic that again, I mean, I think if we do this right, these are going to be a series of books that I'm going to feel like, how have I not heard of this? Yes. What has gone wrong? That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping we will have the experience of feeling enriched because yeah. we got into this book. And, you know, it was published in 1984, but like it was banned as recently as 2012 um, in Oregon because <sighs> teachers didn't like the social issues presented. Oh my goodness. And so it may more precisely be a middle grade book, but I think it's a good place for us to start as a pair with uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn. So that's why it's our first book club pick. Cool. So if people want to read along, that book club at Minnesota is going to drop on January 19th. So plan your reading list accordingly. You've got about a month and it's only 100 pages. So join us. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Brenna, that'll wrap up this mini-sode. Oh, Joe, when I see you again, Christmas will have passed. Oh. Yeah, but New Year's will be yet to come. True, and we've got one more episode before we can wrap up the 2020 calendar. That's right, and it's another classic, uh, something that I simultaneously can't believe we haven't gotten to yet and know that you're a little bit trepidatious about. Mm-hmm. And it's The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Yes, and that accompanying film, which is, of course, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, of all people. I won't do it again. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited for this one. I actually finished reading it last night, Joe, and it took me right back to some uh, middle grade feels. I think that's when mm, I read it last. Okay. Probably too young to read it then. But um, yeah, no, it's a good one. It's It's a classic for a reason, and I think it's an interesting example. We've been really looking for boy protagonist YA that we could stand the boy protagonists. (laughs) And for me, this is a good example of that. I really care about these boys. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking to have a conversation about how this compares to something like The Body, the Stephen King novella question mark that we read last month. 
By the way, this novel has fewer pages than that novella did. Just <laughs> so FYI, funny. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, folks, come back next week and join us for The Outsiders. And if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you have some questions about how the book club's going to work. Maybe you've got a new story you wish we had talked about. Or maybe you just want to wish us a happy holiday. Yeah, you can find us at hashtag HKHSpod on the Twitters. Joe, where can they find you? I am at B still my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you have something longer you want to send us, you can find us at HKHSpod at gmail.com. So. Until next time, I want to say something Christmassy here, Joe, but I didn't plan anything. See on the tree? See Uh, under the tree, depending on how much eggnog I get into. (laughs) Let's just, bye. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Happy holidays, folks. (laughs) Bye.